Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and this evening we have a really wonderful presentation where two of our members are going to talk about the ways of communicating and networking. And this is something that I think is very, very important because I remember when I began to lose my vision, I really isolated myself from the public. I did not feel comfortable speaking with everybody. So this could be very good just for our social lives and also in our professional careers. So our speakers this evening are Leslie Spoon, and Leslie is the current president of CCLVI, and she is also a certified aerobics instructor. And our other guest this evening is Richard Rueda, and Richard Rueda is the past president of CCLVI, and he works at the Society of the Blind in Sacramento, where he helps youth and adults to find careers. So uh, welcome to the show tonight, Richard and Leslie. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Dr. Bill. Thank you, Dr. Bill. Yes, you know, this is something that is really a very, very important topic, and I could really tell because the number of attendees that we do have on the show this night is really a very, very large crowd. So the first thing I wanted to ask you, Leslie, is what is it that makes a person successful in just trying to communicate? I know that we all are able to speak, but many times, just because of the fact that we don't see well, it seems to affect what comes out of our mouth. That's a great question, Dr. Bill. Um, thanks. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And, and being with Richard, he's he's been an inspiration to me and a, a true mentor to me, um, being the past pre president of CCLVI. Um, I think communicating is is a key key component a component to um, you know just in everyday life and when you lose your vision. It is good to communicate and get out in the community and, you know, just let yourself be be known, you know. Um, it, it, it is hard when you have, like, retinitis pigmentosa or you have other eye diseases that are, you're not blind from birth and you lose your vision um, throughout life. You know, it goes, you go through different stages. So communication is a, is a very key key part of that. You know, and that's one of the things that I have learned and actually – I, I want you to know this. When I first met you, and when I heard your voice, I just said, my gosh, this is such a nice woman. She's got such a caring voice. It's so powerful, the way that you speak. It's so clear. And I thought, this is the type of person that I think is going to do a great job as president, and you, you certainly have. And so we can often tell a lot about people just from their tone of voice, can't we? Well, thank you. Thank you for those compliments. I appreciate that. It's hard to be president, and you learn a lot of stuff about yourself being president. So <laughs> I've learned a lot about myself in the last year, year and a half, and it's it's trying and pleasing and, you know, challenging, I'll say. But, yes, um, you know, you just try and be positive and have a good outlook on life. Um, I always say every day when I get up, like, it, it's a gift. Every day is a gift. Um we all go through challenging things in life, our families, our friends. Um, so every day is just a gift. So Yes, I, I, I really agree with you completely. And if I may, I would really just like to interject something here. That's, it's so important to me, but uh, a, a young man who's uh, a friend of one of the doctors who work for me, uh, he actually passed away today. Oh. And uh, this young man, his name is John, and John is truly one of the nicest people I've ever met. He's a, a social worker. But it was last week that he went to his karate practice, and he said, you know, my neck's a little sore, so I don't think I'm going to work out tonight. I'm just going to sit and watch. And he then said, let me go to the bathroom, and I'll be right back. And when he went to the bathroom the teacher heard 
a loud noise in the bathroom. So he assumed that John must have fallen. And he went into the bathroom, and in fact, John did fall. He passed wow. out. Wow. And he woke up, and he says, he couldn't talk, and he couldn't move his body. And they, they took him to the hospital, and, uh, you know, he's a man in perfect health. No history of anything wrong. No history of any types of blood disorder, heart disorder, anything like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it happened to be that they found that he did have a stroke where his brain, for whatever reason, wasn't getting enough blood. And uh, today, uh, they took him off of uh, life support, and it was his wish to donate his organs. And uh, I, I just can't believe it. It It is wow. so sad. Yeah. But, but every day is a gift, you know. That's it makes why I say me that. realize, yes, yeah. exactly day, as yeah. you said. Every day is a gift. I it mean, is. no matter what no matter it how is, how hard it gets, you know, how hard it gets with your friends or your family, or just people that you think that you can really reach out to, you know, it just really is a gift. You just have to sit back and say, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. We had a shooting here in Florida this week. Oh um, yes. It was very, very, very tragic. Those were young, young people. You know, they are going through life-altering changes, um, you know. So you just have to realize every day is a gift. You get up and you just say, it's going to be a great day. So That's you right. Look at it, so. And you truly make the best of it. And, That's right. Yep. Uh, you know, Richard, I have to give you some compliments, too, because you're one of the first people that I met in this organization, CCLVI, and you were truly a person who feel so comfortable when I attended the meetings and things. And uh, what would you say are some of the keys to being able to communicate and network? Oh, Dr. Bill, you caught me in the middle of my lunch. Can you give Leslie one more minute and I'll be free to talk? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> he's, a, he's in the tumble, the tumbling. <laughs> Well, you know, Leslie, isn't that just a typical sign of a good communicator? Even right. when it falls apart, he's so smooth, he can he's make so it smooth. go. I know, he's, he is that way. You know, i gotta, I got to say kudos to Richard because, you know, I met Richard a couple years ago. I wasn't really involved in CCLVI. I was just getting involved in it, and um, I had my, my own studio, my own workout studio, and I was just getting back involved, and um, my studio was, um, you know, the – the economy got us, and my husband and I, Dan, um, he's on the American Council of Blind Board. So, you know, it, the economy got us, and we said, you know, we're just going to have to close the doors. We did it for five years, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. You mm-hmm. talked about communicating. I, um, you know, I had sighted and visually impaired students that came into my studio every day. So I met Richard, and Richard, like you say, Richard was just the nicest person to me. I was on the auction committee. I was the chair of the American Council of the Blind Auction Committee. And I said, Richard, I need blah, blah, blah from you and CCLVI. He says, well, I can do that for you. I can do this for you. Come to the mixer, you know, and we'll meet and all this. And we met, you know, and he has just been a true friend to me ever since. So I I give him kudos to Dr. Bill. Yeah, his tone of voice. You really feel as though you've known him for a long time. I know. And you get the feeling that he really wants you to attend. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Leslie, I want to... All right, all right, enough of the flattery. I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I I, I really quick, Dr. Bill, I live in an apartment complex, and they recently closed the the things at 7 o'clock at night, and I need to get laundry done before I fly out this week to D.C. for the ACB meeting, so I had to get it done now. So I apologize. Oh, oh, okay. Hey, well, you're excused. You're excused. We don't want you to have dirty clothes going over there to the meeting, right? (laughs) You asked about communication. Uh, what was your question again? Yeah, my question was, you know, what do you feel are really some of the most important keys to being able to communicate? Because as I was saying, and Leslie just confirmed, when we first met you, the way that you communicate, you communicate in a way that people really feel that you care and that you really wanted us there. I mean, it's, it's something very, very special. What do you think about when you're thinking about 
communicating? How do you emphasize your communication skills? That's a very good question. I've been in many roles. I've had the fortunate ability to be in the management role, to supervise people, to have been supervised by people. Um, there are styles that I've liked and styles that I don't like. So I've been in a, a lot of situations, Dr. Bill, where I've seen the way people communicate the good and not so good. And I think what it comes down to is a couple are a couple of things. First, you really have to be a good listener. You really have to be – in order to communicate, it sounds counterintuitive, but you have to be a good listener and be in the moment and give all your attention to that person or to the audience you're talking with so that they know that you're there, your energy is there, and that they're – you're engaged, and I think that goes a long way. And I think also just personifying yourself, projecting your, your message, whether it's a short message, a conversation, or it was a formal speech, you really have to be projecting and come across coherent and so that you build cohesiveness with your audience. Yes, I, I really agree with that very, very much. And I don't actually know, you know, for each of you, I don't know how much vision each of you have uh, because I've never asked you that. But uh, for the audience, I want the audience to know that I had perfect vision uh, until about the end of 2003 when I was an eye doctor examining a patient and I noticed a blind spot in my eye. And then by 2009, I became totally blind. But one of the things that I remembered from speaking with certain people who had low vision that would come into my office was it was very difficult to speak to some of these people who had low vision because I was never really certain. Are they talking to me or are they talking to their wife who is sitting next to them or somebody else? Because so many of the patients that I had with low vision they never would look at me when they were trying to speak to me. So after I became visually impaired, I truly practiced very, very hard on learning how to turn my head and to turn my eyes to try to make as best eye contact possible. And uh, Leslie, is that something that you have ever had to do or do you have enough vision that you don't have any difficulties making eye contact with the person you're speaking with. Well, Dr. Bill, I have retinitis pigmentosa, and I have three sisters in my family that also have it. Oh, um, wow. Out of five of us, there's three, myself mm. and my two older sisters. Um, my oldest sister and my brother did not have it, so they were, they were totally sighted. So, um, yes, my vision has deteriorated in the last year, um, I do look like you're saying. I do. I've been trained to look at people. I went. I was, you know, mainstreamed through school in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, and then moved to Orlando, Florida, in, in 1997 when I met Dan, my husband. So, um, you know, it is harder. It's getting harder each day. Um, you know, I'm doing more things on my own, mobility-wise, computer-wise. I didn't grow up, you know, without vision. I grew up with vision until I was probably 30. Um, I'm 48 now, so. My it's 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 harder each day because you're learning new things. It's it's you know deteriorating each day. You know you get up and you go, what kind of day is it going to be? What am I going to see today? Mm -hmm. You know um, I don't see people's faces anymore. I do try and make eye contact. My my friends that come over and work out with me, they stand on the left side because my left side's worse than my right. So if they don't want to work out hard, they they stand <laughs> on that side. <laughs> I can still see shapes and shadows out of my right eye, so um, I'm I'm not truly low vision anymore. So um, you know, it's been a privilege to be president of CCLVI because we all do go through different different things in our lives, and you know, times come when you have to give up certain things, and um, you know, it's it's been a privilege. It's been a learning curve. It's been I've had good mentors. Christine's on the phone. She's mentored me in computer. You know, Richard, like I say, you know, these are all, all good communicators that have helped me and, and just taught me. You know, I'm so much younger um, than a lot of people in this, you know, that have RP. It's it's an olding disease kind of like, you know, you, you really lose it like in your 60s. So um, my husband has it also, So and he's lost all of his vision. Um, he just has light perception. He's, he'll be 62. So it's, it's been an interesting experience. 
Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know that your husband was uh, low vision also, but that's really uh, a topic for another evening. We we need to hear about that, too. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, Richard, what about yourself? Uh, do you have any vision, or did you have to work at making eye contact with people? Or Yeah, thank you. I, I was born with congenital glaucoma, and up until about the age, I'm 43 now, until the age of 27, I wore bifocals and was able to get around without a white cane, and I was legally blind. I never had vision in my left eye, only in my right eye. At that point, I've always been legally blind. Um, I've had glaucoma issues since birth, and then since then I've had four retina detachments, three, four cornea transplants, all in my right eye. And do I have vision? That's the question. I actually do have some remaining vision. It's not very much. It's about 20 over 600. And that's after several surgeries at, at, at Stoheny in Los Angeles and at Stanford. And so I'm fortunate to have some vision. And, um, you know, it's a miracle considering with all the technology and all the state-of-the-art things that are out today that I have any vision. And I'm, I'm really, really blessed. But I, and I have lost vision. And I do use a cane. And I do work with a guide dog. And using, you know, projecting, putting your your best foot forward, keeping your head up, your shoulders back, making eye contact, making contact by voice is, is very critical. And I think that's what's made me successful, just personifying that self-confidence. Even when you don't feel confident, personifying that so you're taken seriously by the general public and by others you're talking with. I, I agree completely. And uh, I think that... There's many times that there are people who are either low vision or blind, and they might be waiting for a bus or waiting for a ride, and the way that they stand in their posture, it really makes them a target where people will attack them. And we have had patients with low vision who are waiting to be picked up from in front of our building and that they have been robbed. And people have stolen their briefcase or their backpack and other things. But based on the way that you stand, I think it really does say something a little bit more about you. And it may keep uh, a, a bad person like that away from you. Would you agree with that, Richard? I, I agree. I, I'm fortunate in some ways to be a tall guy, a big guy. So people... I haven't been messed with. I, I did have an iPod stolen for me on public transit about 12 years ago now, and that was a very eye-opening part in the pun. But I, I was you know, slouched. I was falling asleep. It was after doing sports. It was late at night, and I was tired, and I worked all day. And you know, some kids came up to me and grabbed my iPod, and they ran off the train without it, and, and everyone else around me just didn't seem to care. And <laughs> at that point, I thought, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty low vision, and I don't see everything that comes across me, and I have to be better prepared for things, threats in public and, and, and things like that. So um, not long after that, I decided that I, I wanted to work with a guide dog. And as someone with low vision, it really was a, a match made in heaven because partnering with a guide dog, as good as a cane user as I am, I, I, I wasn't the best cane user, but working with a dog, I, I feel less vulnerable. I can see a little bit. He can see a lot more, and we together we get around obstacles. And um, you feel less vulnerable as a blind person, as a person with low vision in public, and walking out at night or at sunset or at sunrise in, in parts of neighborhoods you might not be familiar with, getting to a job interview and so forth. You just have that much more confidence with you. People don't mess with you as much, or when they do, they're messing with you because they want to hold up on the dog, and that's you know that's the lesser of two evils in my book. Wow, that's great. That's great. Leslie, do you use a guide dog yourself? I don't have a guide dog. I have a cane. I'm I'm on the fence thinking about getting a guide dog. Um, I've been thinking about it for probably a couple months now. So I've talked to Richard. I've talked to Lindsay. Um, some other people that are involved in CCLVI. I've talked with um, some of my Florida Council of the Blind folks um, that do have guide dogs. So I don't know yet. Um, depends, you know. <laughs> I never say never. You know, you know when, when when we talk about this in communication, but what what are the reasons that you are hesitant to getting a guide dog? Because I am totally blind, and I do not have a guide dog either. Why don't I, you have a guide dog? I don't have a guide dog, but I think because 
I've always had my husband to rely on a little bit, and <laughs> you know, and we're we're kind of a, a duel, so you know, we kind of go together. And and he's retired now from from his work, and so we kind of we're we're kind of a team. Um, we're starting. I'm starting to do a little bit more on my own. So now I'm thinking more about getting the dog, and then we travel a little bit more. And you know, you never know where life will take you. Um, if we move to Las Vegas or Key West or stay here in Orlando, Florida, you know, so we have some options open for us, um, you know, down in the future. And, and then I, you know, I think I think now it would be good for me, um, uh, not to get too sentimental, but you know, my husband is older than me, and and you never know what will happen in life. He's had a couple of scares, and you know, you just never know. Um, so. I think having a dog would would make me a little bit more independent and just help me and open up another another new world for me. So, yes, everybody that I know who has a guide dog, they say the same thing. They say it is the greatest thing ever. You really should get one. I know that's what I hear. So I'm I'm you know you never know. I say I never say never to anything because you know I I teach so many things. I've learned so many things, and you're always learning every day, Doctor Bill. You know. Yes. Well, Leslie, what do you feel are some of the key points that our audience should know about networking? What are some of the first things that you recommend they do if they do want to network? Well, I'd say, first of all, Dr. Bill, you know, find somebody that you you really want to network with. Um, Computers are great. Telephones are wonderful. You know, we're still, still... I, I hate to pick on Christine too much, but you know we have really become good friends, um, and and we have never met, you know. And she, you know, we talk a lot, and we we um, she helps me with the computer, you know. And and I say the computer, telephone, um, emailing is great, you know. I can email Richard, I can email Kathy Carina, you know. And then my other friends that I had from years ago, you know, I can. It's just great to do all that. It, the computers really come along, you know, and then um, me, I love sports, so I'm always in, always doing some kind of sporting thing. So I have other people that I do sports with and work out with at conventions. I, I always teach a class at the American Council of Blind Conventions. Oh. So uh-huh. I've, I've met a lot of people through that. Um, so my, you know, it's just what I love is working out. That's, that's my passion. Most people hate working out without working out so <laughs> um, so you know I just say all those things you know just find somebody that you really really can trust and open up with and be your true self yes you know and that brings up a really interesting point I know that as a certified aerobics instructor you are standing in the front of the class and you have all of your students that are looking at you now some of your students may be visually impaired but others have a normal vision, but when you're given a class like that and maybe a person doesn't know what all of these moves and things are called, how is it that you show them what they should be doing if they're a blind student? Let's say that Richard and I were, were both very low vision and we come to your aerobics class, how will we know what to do? Um, I would ask you if it's okay if I touch you. And then, because I'm a very hands-on trainer, so I would ask, I would say, could I touch you, Dr. Bill? Would that be okay, you know, in in my class? And you would say yes or no. And if you say no, then I I respect that. But if you say yes, then I would teach you how to grapevine. I would say step out to the right, put your left foot behind your right foot, step back out to the right, and put your left foot together. So then you would know that's a grapevine. And we would do it together. I would put my hands on your hips, and we would do it together. I also do that for my sighted um, um, clients also when I've personal trained or done anything in the pool or, you know, I'm a very hands-on. Um, if you don't get it, then I, you know, I go back and just say, okay, let's let's do it a couple more times. So um, most people, some people are visual learners and some people people are hands-on learners. I'm a hands-on teacher, so um, well, you know, that's it what I shows, do for you. Yeah, and it shows us again that communication it really doesn't only mean that we're communicating just by words alone. We can use our body to explain what we're trying to get across, right? Right, correct. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Well, Richard, what about you? You know, if there's times that 
you have wanted to network or maybe you wanted to start a new project in Northern California to help uh, teenage students to get jobs, how did you begin some of these networking types of programs? You know, as much as a person, as much as I like to network and meet new people, Dr. Bill, surprisingly, I'm an introvert. I really like, at the end of the day, to have my own personal space, my downtime. I don't want to talk to anybody, just listen to my music and read a book and play with my dog. But, you know, at the same time, I I do enjoy, like you said, building projects, meeting new people. So for many years prior to my current job, I was a statewide director of transition services for what then was called Junior Blind. So I was hired to basically initiate programs in Northern California. So I had to go around and and to schools to meet the students, to other agencies and meet with directors and and to really bring out a program that didn't exist in Northern California. So it took every ounce of energy. I had to learn how to be persuasive. I had to learn how to be patient. I had to learn how to... Uh, be political when I didn't want to, be graceful and tactful. And, and all those things come into play, and you have to just balance it out. And I think it goes back to what I said earlier. You have to be a good listener. Uh, you have to have a good story, be sincere, and really and really follow through with whatever promises you make. And I think that makes for good networking uh, on, on local and on regional levels, on you know, personal and, and, and professional levels. Now, were there any particular types of classes that you took, Richard, to prepare you to go and meet with uh, many of these different CEOs of different organizations or managers? And I would imagine that many of these people that you had to meet were much older, so it could be somewhat intimidating if you're a a 20-some-odd-year-old young man meeting some of these very experienced people and trying to get them to buy into your project. You know, it can be intimidating if you if you if you worry, and if you allow yourself to worry for five seconds and get it all out, and then just kind of, you know, you're going to make friends. You know, you're going to have questions. I think you just have to be confident. You have, and, and then you, it, I, there weren't classes per se. I think I've, I've grown up in in the council, starting out with the California Council of the Blind, and later worked with CCLVI and ACB, and I think just being in leadership roles, putting myself forward, even when I was not sure or having been pulled in when I wasn't ready, you, you, you put your feet to the fire, and if you feel good about it, you continue doing it, and you learn from your mistakes. I, I've made many mistakes, and I've, I've learned from my mistakes, and I think that's part of it, learning from your mistakes, and just that's probably the best lesson ever is learning from the mistake, um, seeking out feedback from others, you know, accepting that constructive criticism and, and learning from it. And I think um, I wasn't as so intimidated as I was just someone who wanted to uh, bring out successful outcomes for the people I've worked with. So uh, how did you first reach out? Who did you reach out to first when it was the very first time that you were going to have to go out and network like this or have a one-on-one meeting with somebody who did you reach out to, or did you read a book, or did you take a class? What was your first step? In, in, well, in, in, for in, in, to back up just a bit, in college I did take courses in uh, persuasive speech, argument, those, those types of courses that helped you better be a public speaker, which, which was very hard for me. When I first started out as a rehabilitation counselor many years ago, and over like 17 years ago now, and, and my supervisor at the time told me, you know, you're going to have to go out to schools and, and do public speaking. I, I, I was like biting my nails going, I, I can't do that. And <laughs> I never liked public speaking. And it, it was trial and error. It was you're going to just go out there and you, and you kind of follow your mentors and you see how they do the, the speech about the program, the rehab program that I, I ran. And then eventually taking the training goals off and, 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 and doing it and, you know, making your blunders, but making making your, your point known. And over time, you get better at things. And it was just trial and error for me. It wasn't so much a textbook. I, I did take classes, but I didn't retain as much of it because I didn't have real-world real experience until I actually got into it. So 
um, I was fortunate that people gave me a chance and that I, I did well with it and, and made fewer mistakes and I made greater successes. And I think that's what has been successful. And, and just having mentors, having other people I can look up to, a lot of those CEOs and other agencies I reached out to were people I knew in, in many in many capacities because we work in such a small field. I think a lot of us wear many hats. So, for example, I know you on many levels, Dr. Bill, through through CCLBI, through CCB, through uh, speaking engagements. So, uh, again, uh, you're an example of how I know people through many different hats, and I think that's been helpful to me. You know, I just cannot believe the fact that when you tell us that you're an introvert, you do not <laughs> sound like an introvert one bit, Richard. <laughs> He told me that, Dr. Bill, at convention last year, and I said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. If we could all be that type of introvert, right? <laughs> well, Leslie, you know, when you first started to go out and to meet people, or I'm certain that when you were trying to recruit clients to your aerobics business and things, you had to go out and speak. How did you first learn to go out there and to speak? Did you take classes or did you practice in front of your husband or what was it that got you going for the very first time? Well, I've always wanted to be an aerobic instructor for years and years and I was afraid because of my vision. Um, when I moved to Orlando, Florida, Dan did did um, help me and say, seek my goal. But yeah, I did take a, I took a workshop, um, how to choreograph, how to teach, um, as far as we know, I'm the only I'm the only blind instructor that teaches aerobics. There's other personal trainers because I have both. I have four certifications. So four. Um, what are the other three certifications? I have Aqua, um, I have Cycle, and I have, um, I have Aqua. I have Active Aging. Wow. So I have five certifications. So um, and I've been I've been teaching over 20 years. So um, I was fe- featured in Fitness Magazine in 1999 as, the bl- as a blind instructor. <laughs> Is that right? Oh yeah, that's my fame to claim. So I'm so excited about that. I mean, it's so been so long ago, but I'm on the page with, um, do you remember Meg Ryan and Annie yes. Potts and Jamie Lee Curtis? So yes. I'm on the page with all them. I'm at the very, very bottom. We were at a um, magic uh, basketball game, and the, then the magazine came out, and Dan says, where are you? Where are you? And I said, I'm in the corner. I'm in the corner, the left-hand corner, you know, the bottom left corner. And he says, oh, there you are, that little speck. <laughs> That's you. So they wow. came out and they, you know, they filmed me and they did everything for me for it to be in the fitness magazine. Um, so, you know, that was very exciting for me. I was also on a video for Smart Woman for being a visually impaired instructor. Um, and then I was also in another magazine. So I had a lot of stuff when I first came out because, Nobody had ever thought about teaching being visually impaired, so um, and I had much better vision then. But but like Richard said, I had a lot a lot of good criticism from my uh, mentor, which was my boss, and she would let me teach five minutes of the class. That was it. I got oh. one little segment of the class, mm-hmm. and I'd go. And then after the class was over, we would stay for an hour and a half. She would take me home, and we would she would critique me and go over everything that I did wrong for that five minutes, which made me a better instructor to this, to the, to this day. But in, the, in that, you know, in that beginning, in that fact, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to get to teach, <laughs> you know. Oh, so I would go home yeah. and practice and practice and practice and then go the next week I would get ten minutes. So, <laughs> you know, and then I finally worked up to, I got to team teach. So um, I worked at like six or seven different gyms each week. So, you know, making my way. And then I finally, at the end, I finally got to teach on my own at a gym, which was awesome. And, and it was just so, so rewarding to me um, to get to do that. And then when I had my own gym, of course, I taught all the time. But, you know, it, it is, you know, you're you're always putting your first, you know, your best foot forward. You're putting, you know, the vision. The vision is not you. Um, you you are a person still. So, you know, the yeah. vision second. So, um I, you know, I would I would call people. I would I'm very persistent. I'm you know I'm people know me. They know I'm persistent. I what I want I get, 
you know. <laughs> so um, I'll never forget, I had a list. They gave me a list at one of my last gyms, and they said, call these people, and if you get them, you can have them as clients. Um, and I said, okay. And so I called one night, just kept calling and calling, and we had to call and say, how is your fitness journey going? You know, this is my spiel. And I had the spiel, and I, re- I remembered it and rehearsed it and everything and called, and I got 10 clients the next two days. Wow. And the other people were like, how did you do that? Those yeah. are my clients. You're visually impaired. How do you? How are you going to train them? And I'm like, I'm just going to train them like you would train them. I'm just, but I'll have to, you know, touch them and see how they're doing, and you know, and if they cheat, they cheat, and <laughs> <laughs> you know. So um, I still have one client that started with me 20 years ago. She comes to my house now, and you know, she's we talk about it. I first when I first got her, she couldn't even stand up. So I taught her how to stand up, and nobody wanted to train her because she couldn't do anything but sit down and stand up. So I finally got her, and then when I got her and got her to be really good, she everybody wanted her. <laughs> wow. So it is, it's amazing. It's a hard field, but it's, it's very rewarding. So, Gosh, that is really, really wonderful. You know, Richard, did you find that it was very difficult for you to explain to the people that you were going to meet for the first time that you had a vision problem? Or was it just the fact that you took your guide dog and the cane and and you didn't worry about it? And the reason I ask that is because when I first started to meet people, even when I had low vision, I wouldn't use a cane. I wouldn't go with my wife or anybody. I wanted to be as independent as possible. And I would uh, usually meet them at a place that I knew it was going to be very comfortable for me to see as best as I could. But I didn't tell people. I was so afraid to tell them that I had a vision impairment because I thought perhaps they wouldn't want to do business with me or what have you. Maybe they wouldn't want to be a friend of mine. Uh, How did you solve that particular type of problem that many of us go through? Well, I think, I think for me, Dr. Bill, the difference is I've been visually impaired all my life, so I know whereas you uh, lost vision later in life, I've always, had, I've always been visually impaired. I, I'm much more significantly visually impaired now than I was 10, 15 years ago. And I think in every situation I've, I've entered, especially in new situations where I'm meeting someone for the first time, through an interview or dating or, or whatever it is, I I just had to explain to myself at, at the moment that I met them, hey, I want to let you know I don't see very well. Um, I'm the person with a white cane. I'm going to be the person with a guide dog. This is who you're looking for. If you, if you see me, you're going to see me before I see you. Or if it's a vehicle pulling up like a taxi or an Uber, I, I usually will alert them to look for the guy with the cane or the dog so that they – just don't mm-hmm. pass me up, and, and, and putting myself out there. Now, I will tell you a story that I, I learned the hard way. Um, when I got my first guide dog, I was wearing my bifocals, and I didn't realize that I didn't need my bifocals. I was I was further more blind than I wanted to admit. And up until that point, I was very stubborn in the fact that I didn't like to get customer service or shopping assistance at the market. And so a light bulb went off in my head when I got my dog. I said, I don't need, I don't need all this, you know, all this heavy weight on my shoulder. I can swallow my pride. I can master customer service. And, and I did. Um, prior to that, for at least a year or two, when I had a lot less vision, I'd be going to the supermarket to get milk and eggs, and it'd take me about 45 minutes because I didn't want to ask for help. That's how stubborn I was. And, uh, you know, a year later when I had my guide dog, I'd walk up to the customer service and I'd say, hey, I need help shopping. Can someone shop with me? And they said, not a problem. What do you need? Milk and eggs. Okay, here they are. What kind of milk? What kind of eggs? What are the expiration date? Ten minutes later, I'm home. I'm like, wow. (laughs) So, you know, you swallow your pride. um, And I, I, I see that with a lot of people who are high partial or people who are who are and who go into new environments. They are not comfortable with, as I was, asking for customer service, using the interdependence. And I think it's so critical to know when you can ask for help, and it's okay. Um, I, I go to Costco all the time to get customer service. I, I go to many places, and I just say, can I get some assistance when, when someone's available? I don't 
brag or say, hey, I need help right away. I'll wait like anyone else. But I, I think it's something that we shouldn't, sh- you know, sh- shelter ourselves from in life. Where we deserve all the public amenities like everyone else does, and with assistance. And I have no problem asking for help. Wow, that's- and that's coming from someone who I'm very autonomous. I like my independence. I'll do things by myself all the time. But at the same time, I know when to ask for help, and I have no shame. That is so great. That is so great. You know, because that is the truth. You could spend so much time trying to find things in the store, and if you just ask, someone will help you. And they want to help us. They really do like to help us, you know? Yeah. How about you, Leslie? I know that you're in a, a, a situation a little bit more similar to myself where you you did have a high amount of vision for most of your life. Mm-hmm. Did you always tell people that you met that you had a vision problem? I know with retinitis pigmentosa, sometimes you don't see well at night. So would you right. tell people? Uh, I did not tell people for a long time. Um, I went to the Foundation Fighting Blindness Convention with my sister that had um, had RP also. She's passed since now. Um, oh, I'm sorry. But um, she, she was really funny about it, and she would tell everybody for us. I'm like, oh, great, you know, because I was so much younger than her. Um, <laughs> you know, she was 12 years older than me, and I'm like, okay, Anita, you know, <laughs> so you don't have to tell everyone that we can't see. You know, maybe maybe they don't really want to know that, you know. So she was, she was a riot. She was hilarious. But, um, you know, and she was my mentor, my best friend, and uh, – you know, so when we met, we met Dan at a convention. That's where I met Dan in Washington D.C. And I'm going there Thursday, which you know <laughs> brings back great memories for Dan and I. But um, yes. you know, uh, when I met Dan, I didn't have a cane. I had, I didn't have a cane, and I was 26 years old. You know, I was young, and you yeah. know, you think you're hot stuff then, you know, and all this, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, dating and all that. And so we met Dan, and. Um, we started dating and everything, you know, we hit it off, you know, talk about networking. He lived in Orlando, Florida, and I lived I lived in Las Vegas. So, um, you know, we did the long-distance dating, and the first time he came to see me, he says, I'm bringing you a gift. And I'm thinking, all right, good job, <laughs> yeah. Dan. You know, maybe it's some flowers, some chocolates, or, you know, something good, a, a jewelry, you know, something. I'm like, all right, good boyfriend here. <laughs> so he brings me this gift, and it's a white cane, and I'm like... <laughs> Even when, even if you have to fake it, 
it has to. People will take you that much more honestly and treat you fair, and I think you'll have a better time with everything you do in life. Yeah. Yeah. You you really do. You really do. You know, I'll have to tell you a quick story, though. We were out once, and I met a gentleman. This was a gentleman that was visiting, and uh, I was with my wife. And I, you know, was talking to him and the whole bit. And actually, after I uh, uh, left the table to go to the bathroom, I went to the bathroom for myself. I was using my cane. And he said, your husband's faking it, huh? He's not visually impaired at all. And she said, yeah, he can't see anything. And he said, well, God, he makes such good eye contact. And look at he's going to the bathroom by himself. I mean, what's going on here? And my mm-hmm. wife said, no, he really is totally blind. So I came back from the bathroom, and, and he's sitting there next to me. And then my wife told me, did you know that he was actually moving his hands right in front of your eyes to see if you would flinch, and you didn't flinch. And I guess that's how he knew that I was really blind, so we laugh about that. But, that's you know, so funny. That's good. it's <laughs> good to be very, very open with others, you know. But I want to ask you guys real quickly, Richard, you know, when you do a presentation, you're going to do a presentation, and, and you know, people who are sighted have a lot of notes, uh, some people might use a Braille note or other people, I've seen other people use a tape recorder. But how do you organize yourself when you're going to make a presentation for, let's say it's a leads meeting or a networking meeting? How do you find the best way for you to organize all of those notes? What I've done in recent years, um, I have I've done a couple of things. I think what's been easiest for me is I, I did a presentation at the uh, American Printing House in, in October to a lot of uh, administrators, and a lot of them were cited. And it, just so you know, I, but I, I had an iPad with me, and I had my notes on my iPad, and I had a Bluetooth ear earbud that I wear, and I would just to keep to keep myself on track, I'd have talking points that I wanted to cover, so I would just kind of swipe on the screen to hit the line of my talking points and it would tell me in my ear, okay, you're talking about topic A, you know, you're going to talk about that for two or three minutes and then ask questions and then go on to topic B. And I, and I did that and and it worked. So for me, it was just, some people use Braille. Um, I'm I'm not that proficient in Braille, so I don't use Braille. Um, I, I, I don't have enough sight to use uh, cue cards or, or, you know, five by three by five cue cards with large print. So that doesn't work anymore. So for me, it's, it's using uh, my my speech into my iPad and then using my Bluetooth ear speaker so it, it's talking to me and not to the audience. I know. Isn't that great how what the technology can do? I mean, these Bluetooth earbuds, right, they don't have any cord, and you could listen very, very clearly. How about you, Leslie, when you're doing some presentations as the president, um what techniques have you used to be able to keep track of what you wanted to say? I do my Victor stream with my my um, the earbuds, like Richard was saying, the Bluetooth yeah. earbuds, and then I've also done. I have a really good memory, <laughs> um, so yeah. sometimes I'll I'll listen to it the night before, and then you know put some notes in my mind and head, and say, okay, this is what I want to talk about. Um, I practice a lot. I'm, I'm a big I'm a big rehearsal person, practicing all the time, and, um, you know, but the Victor Stream has come along, you know, like you say, technology is just amazingly wonderful, you know, with audio description and, you know, and the computer and the iPhone and, you know, because I can put some notes in there and, you know, take the phone, the earbuds with me that, that way also, so. Yes, yes. Yeah. It is. It is a wonderful time that we're living in now. Well, Richard and Leslie, do you have time? I want to open it up to questions from our oh, audience. Yeah. We have yeah, so many. Oh, Absolutely. Definitely. So sure thing. If you have a question for Leslie or Richard, go ahead and uh, unmute your phone, and you could introduce yourself and uh, go ahead and ask your question. Okay? Hi. Yep. That's Eric from New York. Um, I think on the last call, when we were talking about transportation, sometimes somebody said they would not get the meeting assist. Um, would not ask for one because they could just get there faster yourself. Um, 
Do you ever find that you you either always or often either get too much help or not enough help? Like I was in Brussels, for instance, and um, you know they're like, "Oh, we, we're going to send somebody from the airport over to take you to your train to get to the airport." No, just point, just just point me in the direction of the right track. Um, do you? How do you? I guess go about saying you know just. Um, like if if you're in a situation where you're food shopping, or I guess maybe it doesn't apply to food shopping, but how do you make it clear that you you want a little bit of help, but not 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 to be sort of strong armed? Um, this is Richard. I'll start. I think for me, it really does come down to being to knowing what you want from the assistants and what you don't want, and and trying to explain to them, okay, this is as much help as I need. Uh, if I'm walking through a store, you know, can you explain to me everything on the aisle? Or I just need to go and get these two things. I don't need to know what's on the aisle. And so really knowing your time, knowing how much time you have and, 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 and you know, how smart the person is in terms of how, how much can they help you. I, I, I often will get assistance at the supermarket from people who don't know how to read, and it's unfortunate. And I, I, I get upset with not this person but with the store manager who should have known better. So you, you kind of have to just look at the situation and play with it. I, I don't get maintenance sometimes at certain airports that I know the layout at, but I right. will at new airports. Right, and, because sometimes, and sometimes when in supermarkets, you wait, I found sometimes I go to customer service and I wait 20, 25 minutes for it. That's when I only need two things, and that's frustrating. And sometimes, Eric, this is Leslie, sometimes if you go on slower days to the supermarket, um, not in peak hours. If you can do other things and then go at non-peak hours, it's you won't have to wait as long for for customer service. And like Richard's saying, sometimes it's you can just you can judge by the person. You can tell them how much how much you need, how much assistance you need. So, uh, I will also add to Eric. If, if there are people. Uh, there are times. There are sometimes I'll go to the store and I know the layout, so I'll go. Okay, I'm going to go to the milk aisle, and maybe I'll find someone who can say, "Hey, is this low-fat milk? Or is this chocolate milk? Is this dairy? You know, is this soy milk?" And you know, I just kind of pull things off the shelf. Or if I have to pull up my phone and snap a picture and blow it up, and so I, I'll do it that too, so I can use you know what resources I have on hand. Great, thank you. Okay, next question. Doctor Bill, this is Tom from Wyoming. Hey, Tom, how are you? And you probably recognize that I put in the question about how do they keep track of their notes, because I know you have a big lecture coming up. Yes, I do, and if I had the time, I'd get an iPad and a Bluetooth. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate your discussion. I've I've got two comments and one question, and the two comments are, it kind of goes back to what Richard was saying earlier, where you learn from your successes and failures, and you do learn from both of them, but I think it needs to be accentuated that not only do you learn from your successes, but when you do that, they really are a confidence builder. So you can kind of jump from one to the next to the next to the next, and you just keep ratcheting up your confidence level. That's right. And number two, as, as you're older, you're probably not inclined to go to school and learn things like this anymore. But what I found years ago on that, after college, and I had taken speech classes in college, but being a forester, I was kind of an introvert, and I liked it that way. But then I had to start being more public. Uh, I joined Toastmasters. And I know there's Toastmasters organizations all over the country. Yeah. And some of the folks call if they're... It's about gaining some confidence and learning how to, you know, communicate in public. Really a great way to do it. So uh, my question is, and this is, I guess, I guess more to Richard. um, My nemesis when we're out in public and in a strange store or a restaurant or something, I hate going into strange bathrooms. Mm-hmm. That, that is more to before. Richard. Yeah, I, I kind of give that to Richard, Tom. Bring it on. Bring it on. I was lost inside of a bathroom. It was all white. I mean, there was no contrast in there. Oh. And I was in, I was lost in a bathroom for 15 minutes one time. I couldn't get out. Oh. And finally, 
finally Cleo sent someone in to find me. So Richard, how what's the best way to deal with a strange bathroom? <laughs> Carry lots of wet wipes. <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 there's no good way, Tom. It's just a matter of kind of going. If you got to pee bad enough, you're gonna go, and hopefully you'll you'll find a urinal or you'll find the seat and you do your business. But really, just I, you know, every bathroom there's no there's no universal layout, and I think that's oh. a part of the fun. And it's you know, but it's uh, I don't know what to tell you. I just Good luck and just, you know, do what you got to do <laughs> to make it work for you. And I'll put my two cents on Tom, I'll put my two cents on, on this. Um, if you go to the same bathroom, hopefully you can get to go back to the same bathroom. If you go to, like, a supermarket or something, then you kind of know it. <laughs> well, and we do that. When we go up to our big city here where we live is Billings, Montana, and the first thing we do when we hit town, we go to Lowe's because they have a bathroom that I know. There you go. Yeah. But I, but really a godsend that I found when I'm in one, if there's someone else in there, I'm thinking, this is cool. This goes to what you two are both saying about don't be afraid to ask for help because I will ask for help when I when someone's in there. That's good. Hey, well, Tom, I, I also want you to remember something. You're one of the biggest men that I've ever met in my life, so you could go into any bathroom and ask or do whatever you want, and no one's going to bother you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to move on now. Okay. I'm curious now to meet Tom someday. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Get the phone again. Thank you, Tom. And, and good luck on your speech. Good luck. Is there another question for Leslie or Richard? This is Ken. Uh, Ken, go ahead, Ken. Uh, thanks. I want to reinforce what they said earlier in the discussion about the importance of the contact, the visual contact between the, yourself and the sighted uh, people. I had two experiences as a teenager. My, my vision has always been limited, but it got worse and worse. And as a teenager, a lot of people didn't realize how, you know, how limited my vision was, but uh, I had an experience where my mother uh, was in the dining room eating lunch or something. She came out of the kitchen and said, I've got something important to tell you, Kenny. I said, okay. And I turned my head to her. She said, it's important. Please, you know, i I got something to say. I said, okay, okay. She said, no, look at me. Look at me. I've got something. Oh. kept insisting that I look at her, and I thought I was. <laughs> Eventually, you know, she went ahead with it. And then within months of that experience, that same summer, I was at a neighborhood uh, swimming pool where a lot of us uh, teenagers and kids, girls and boys and so forth, uh, uh, swam a lot. And one of the neighbors, she wanted to learn how to dive better, and I was already a good diver. She said, you know, help me learn how to dive better. I said, sure. So I sat on the side of the pool, and she went down the end of the pool. She said, okay, I'm going to dive. Watch me. I said, okay, go ahead. She said, look at me. I'm going to dive. I want you to know. I said, I am. Look at Dive, dive. She said, not look at me. And she was insisting. I put those two experiences together. I said, my eyeballs must not look like I'm looking at people. Yeah. And so for the first time in my life, I realized that, same on all the doctors, eye doctors I saw in my childhood, but they never identified the fact that I had uh, blind, what do you call it, central vision, no central vision. Yes, that's right. That's and, right. And so uh, I was using my peripheral vision my whole childhood without realizing. Yeah. So then I started aiming my blind spot at people when I was talking with them and so forth. And immediately, as I walked down the streets for the first time in my life, I kept bumping into other pedestrians because yeah. <laughs> there was a blind spot. But anyway, I think that, you know, the point that they made, and I agree with them, is that what your eyes look like when you're interacting with a sighted person has a lot to do with how they interact with you. Very good. That's right. Thank you, Ken. Welcome. Any other questions for I, Leslie I, or uh, Richard? I have one. This is Ralph Smitherman. Hi, Ralph. Uh, have, have either of you Hello. run across the uh, me game when someone walks up to you and say, guess who this is? And how do you, and how do, you deal with that? Especially actually, in a public place where, you know, it can be embarrassing when uh, when you have to deal with that publicly. I actually had that today happen to me, Ralph. I was getting in the car with my friend to go run errands before we go to D.C. for the legislative seminar. And uh, she's talking to me and talking to me across the street from my house, and I'm with my friend, and 
And I'm just talking and talking and acting like I know her. But I, you know, we get in the car and I go, Missy, who do you think that was? And she says, I don't know. I thought you knew her. <laughs> I said, no, I didn't know her. But she had gone to my gym and then she had moved back in the neighborhood. And I said, okay, well, I think she went to the gym because she asked me if I still teach classes and all this. And I said, I, you know, I do it at my house. And so she's like, okay. So I was like, okay. Then it came to me. But we're just talking and talking and talking. And it, it is it is hard, especially when you're public, you know, you try and figure out who who's speaking to you. Sometimes I will say, I am so sorry. Could you please announce who you are because I, you know, I can't recall. You know, I'm. it's just, you know, sometimes you have to say that. Most of the time I can recognize their voice, but sometimes there are people that do that. So, I always tell people, you know, I'm sorry, I'm I'm really bad with names, but I'm worse with faces. So <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. You know, and that's it. When we could keep a sense of humor about it too, that makes it good. But sometimes uh, you just really feel like giving it to some of these people because some of their jokes aren't always that funny, or you may not be in the mood for it. Does anybody else have any other final questions for Leslie or Richard? Hi, Dr. Bill. Graham from Wyoming. Yes, go right ahead, Graham. My thing is that uh, I might be sitting in the car waiting for whoever's driven me, and people will wave at me. I'm so I don't know this. Then when I see them again, they'll ask me why I'm such a oh, well, gosh. not why I didn't why I didn't wave at them, and I will tell them I I'm sorry I can't see you, <laughs> and and. It, and I get this quite a bit, and I don't know. I mean, uh, sometimes I just I grab a book and I just put it in front of my face like I'm reading it, so that nobody can see that I'm I'm really sitting there, and that uh, I'm not being a snot when I don't uh, wave back. But um, I don't know if anybody else has run into that, but it's kind of hard yeah, to this, deal with. This this is Richard. I, you know, and I guess, and, and I, I've been there. It's the gray area of being low vision. Some people, I've walked up to buses before when I had my bifocals. I go, what number is this? He says, can't you see the freaking sign? I'm like, no, I'm blind. <laughs> well, you don't have a cane. So unless you have a cane to the public, you're sighted. And sometimes mm-hmm. if you have a cane, you're still sighted. So you go figure that out. So I think even <laughs> if you have an identification cane as a person with low vision, it goes a long way. Even if you have to use it, you know, at times just to identify as blind, it helps immensely. Even if you don't want to be blind, it helps to be blind so people in the public can understand where you're coming from. I mean, that's that's kind of through yeah. trial and error. And and sometimes, Graham, I'll, my husband and I will be walking, and all of a sudden I see, you know, a little bit, I'll be like, are you waving? He's like, yeah, I'm waving. And so we start waving at people because they'll start, you know, mm-hmm. saying hi to us. So we just wave back, you know, it's, it's a common thing. So we kind of yeah. just wave, you know, but we don't mm-hmm. see them waving, but we'll wave just to wave. Like, I'll wave a car on if they're going to turn in my neighborhood and we're going to walk, you know, and we're waiting mm-hmm. on them. We're like, okay, we'll just wave the car on. There's a lot of gestures that sighted people and visually impaired people still do, even if you can't see somebody. Because I asked mm-hmm. my husband that the other day. I said, are you really waving at them? You know, you can't see them. He says, yeah, I wave all the time. So I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. So I started waving with them. And it's kind of weird, but, you know. <laughs> you might yeah. just do that. Just wait. Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, we have time for one more question. One more question? No question, Dr. Bill. This is Tom. I was just saying, whenever I gave presentations, Social Security, whatever, to a group, I always said, I introduce, you know, those of you that don't know me, you know, I'm legally blind, which means I can't see you, which means if you wave unless you wave real fast and I can feel the breeze. I can't see you. Yeah. And it also means that if I pass you on the street and you wave or say something, you know, you have to identify you. I'm not ignoring you. I just can't see you. It's not because I'm a snob or anything. I said you'll find out when you get to know me. I am a snob, and I would ignore you anyway <laughs> if I could see you. <laughs> I'm going to do that next time. <laughs> I said it's a great excuse. I would ignore you anyway, but that's another issue. I always make sure I identify myself. And I had that same thing with the bus, you know. Is this the bus to Vineland? What's the matter, buddy? You're blind? And I said, yes, sir. I am legally blind. Is this the bus? Now he said after he crawled out from underneath the seat, you know. And then he was very nice to me. But yes. 
you know, and I use a cane all of the time now uh, for, you know, even with, I'm with my wife and, you know, sighted guide because I tell people, use the cane because it identifies you. So, you know, when you're going up to the bathroom door, oh, excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> wrong, wrong yeah, <laughs> yeah so within the you know, bathroom. Dr. Gill, my, my last word is it's truly, it is true because, as a guy who is low vision, if you don't use a cane, you bump into someone that you're going to ask for a fight, even though you're not asking for a fight. So yeah. carrying identification that shows to the public that you're blind will get you out of a lot of black eyes. <laughs> oh, this has it's been very, very com- great. This has been very, talking very good. about communication, and a white cane is a way of communicating. Yes, it is. It, is. Yep. it really is. Well, Richard and Leslie, I want to thank you both for this really wonderful, wonderful discussion. And uh, we hope that we could continue to have additional discussions like this. Uh, We'd also like to thank Mr. Dick Burden from Ayers LA. And this will be available at www.airsla.org. So until next month, we'd like to say so long and have a great week. Thank you, everybody.